And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And our guest this week, uh, I think he's really special because he has an article in the magazine this month, and he's going to give us a little more information about it. His name is Jason Rice. He's uh, works for a publishing company, Ingram, Ingram Publishing, and he he deals with uh, he's their wholesaler, and they deal with uh, bookstores. And some of you in New Yorkers may know one of his customers, who happens to be Strand Books in uh, in Manhattan. And many of the people we wind up talking to in our on our podcast or in our magazine have their books on the shelves of Strand. So. Uh, We'll make this a commercial form, right, Jason? Yes. Get please. your butt down there, buy some photo books, and uh, support your local your local street photographer. Any photographer, it doesn't matter. Anyway, Jason, welcome. Thank you so much How for having today? me, Bob. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you being with us, um, especially since it coincides with the publication of your article. Mm-hmm. And we're going to dig into that a little deeper. But before we do, I just want to ask you a little bit about you know, how you got into photography, how you got into street photography or documentary photography. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a household uh, where my dad was a photographer and my mom is an artist. And um, from the earliest that I can remember, my dad always had a camera with him. He was photographing me, photographing our trips. Um, I'm 53, so I was born in 69. We did a lot of cross-country trips. Um, and my father was a black and white photographer mostly. I can't honestly remember if he took many pictures in color. He might refute that. I think later in life he did. Um, but I sort of grew up visiting my parents in one of two places, in my mom's studio or my dad's darkroom, where mm. I learned um, by looking what was going on. I didn't learn about photography until I got to college. I didn't really start thinking about it until then and uh, i had been working for my dad who had a photoshop in providence rhode island and i did developing and printing and customer service and framing and mounting for him um, which you know working for your father or for a parent is um is always a double-edged sword mm-hmm. never done it. and um, he did it for his father so it was a family business that was passed on um but that's how i sort of came to it and i i i Enrolled in Rhode Island School Design um, right after high school. And after midway through freshman year, I I had to pick a major. And I had taken a photo one class uh, between semesters. And I thought, wow, this is really great. I love this. And it turned out that, you know, the things that I was witnessing growing up were all around me suddenly. And I started taking pictures while a student at RISD. And um, it was in the. Time frame, historical time frame of Harry Callahan, Aaron Siskin, Burt Beaver, those photographers had come through RISD as professors. And coincidentally, my dad ended up buying um, Harry Callahan's apartment on Benefit Street. And there's a, a strange story about a big mural that he had his own work in the living room. But that's how I came to it, was through my dad learning a little bit here and there growing up and then suddenly 
doing it in earnest and and not really knowing um, mm. what kind of photography I wanted to do. I just liked it. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to me. Um, and RISD has a history of photography um, seminar that they give sophomores, and it's pretty pretty intense. Every week, I think it's twice a week for a couple of hours, and it goes through the history of photography, so you learn everything. And at the same time, they're sort of feeding you photographers that might inspire you. And that's when I came across Gary Winogrand and mm -hmm. um, became, I don't want to say obsessed, it was probably kind of admiration that really opened my eyes. And downtown Providence had this sort of desolate working class <laughs> tone to it, feel to it. And I, I ended up going, you know, that was my sort of my studio where I would go out and work every day while I was at school. And that was, that's sort of like the beginning of, that would be 1991. So that'd be the beginning, 1991, 1990, um, where I really started to take it seriously. Um, and it became something that I really wanted to do. So what was it about Winogrand that resonated with you? You know, it's a combination of the black and white world and a, a timeless quality to his work that took me back to some years that I wasn't familiar with. And I found his work to be surprising, illuminating to me and in, in, a, in a way that made me curious about what it would feel like to go that, do that myself. And I was also really influenced by Richard Avedon for a long period of time, especially his in the American West series. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you learn here and there about different photographers and, you know, you sort of find yourself, I found myself one day in Aaron Siskin's living room looking at his work and he was a sort of a rascal and um, I didn't really know at the time what I was looking at because I was so young and it, but Winogrand was part of a group of photographers whose work I, I really admired and, and I wanted to emulate. And I thought that, you know, you know, going out and being Winogrand-esque was interesting to me, right? It, it, it mm -hmm. was compelling. And mm -hmm. I, I, found, I found a lot of magnetism to that. And, and Avedon especially, um, the ability to find that sort of, that setting with people in it that they're they don't really know you're there and and getting also getting as close as you can i did a series of, of pictures where i had people holding up xerox copies of stuff from fashion magazine and i really wanted to take people's picture and i wanted to create something that was not posed not fake smile not a fake look mm -hmm. that was why i i chose those guys and i also had a, a Jerry Ulsman had a big influence on me in the abstract part of what I was thinking and and how important thinking about photography is not just a sort of a straight document of what's going on and expanding it into a different direction left and right. So how do you feel that you've evolved from the early days when you were influenced by these people to where you are today? I've I've I feel like I've come a long way away from what I was doing. Um, 
And for many years, I swore never to take a color picture. I thought <laughs> color photography was the absolute, like the, the, the worst possible thing you could do. And it was such a sort of a young man's narrow-minded pig-headed focus on you know <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you know, I start, you start looking around at other people's work and and color becomes this it's sort of like um an awakening and um i and during my junior year uh, i went to rome uh, for six weeks and i went to the bus station in rome which is an outdoor bus station and i photographed every day probably shot 30 or 40 r rolls of film a day and um wow <laughs> and i was and i was processing it then too and um it, it really i was you know shooting a canon f1 uh you know i think it was like a 60 to 120 and i was shooting every day and becoming a part of that situation part of that tapestry and um i think from that point on photography became more about what i wanted to do and that mm -hmm. evolution evolved with the things that were interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so movies became a big player in my mind um, and also writing, writing prose. And I think that writing has, my writing has evolved along with my photography where they've sort of become one-to-one -one and one can't really exist without the other. Um, so I, I think at the beginning I, I thought like, well, you know, Gary Winogrand's it. Like he's yeah. the guy, like yeah. if I could just do that. And uh, I, I think that's pretty narrow, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I, I was also 22 at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that that's a, a different time period. And, and I also started going to New York city on the regular with my camera, um, and finding it to be easier thought than done. Yeah. And I have yeah. since come to sort of in the last, I would say the, the project I'm working on now, I, I've come to, to a different place where the city is an integral part of, of my life for making pictures. And I think when I first started out, I was not prepared at all because it's really an assaultive intense. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's really yeah. a lot of stuff going on. And I didn't realize that at the time. And so for, and then, you know, I, I think I probably more people became aware of Wintergrand and mm -hmm. I, um, you know, he's my guy and, um, I, I, I found him to be the inspiration that got me through the first probably 10, 15 years of taking pictures. And, wow. um, I also grew up in a world where in pre-internet where a gallery was a solution. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was the gold brass ring. You went to, you just, you went from college to New York to a gallery. <laughs> and I grew up going to art galleries with my mom when I was, uh, you know, in preteens, teenager, and it seemed simple and it's anything but. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know? for sure. And it's not the solution anymore um, or as it, we used to think it was. So that was how I, that was my, my evolution to where I am now is that I think about street photography in a way that's almost a 180 from what I started out as. Wow. How so? I, th <laughs> I think about it in a, in a, in a very abstract way. I don't think that I'm looking for the woman 
you know, having the ice cream cone in front of the 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 department store window with the men's mannequin, the Gary, the famous Gary Winogrand picture, where he's standing right in front of her, or the the black and white woman with the um, the zoo animals in the zoo. I don't think about those types of pictures anymore. I think about those sort of those moments between mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. people are doing things and they're not paying attention. I'm also very interested. I never was interested in reflection and the, the, the sort of the fourth wall that comes with looking into a window. You see yourself, you see the city behind you, and then you see what's in it. And it's sort mm-hmm. of a, almost like four-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And I think about the solitude of New York City, which I never thought about before, the quiet, um, how, how lonely people are. Mm-hmm. Um, how, and, and, and it translates into my work now where I never thought about that before that Hmm. most of the people in my work are alone, solitary figures standing by themselves, um, crowded streets, long distance stairs where people look like they're staring off into space. And, and I, I I feel like I'm recognizing that. Whereas before I was trying to go out and, you know, do a Xerox of Winogrand. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, I think everybody starts that way. You're photographing a lot of people who are alone. Are you looking for them or that just captures your attention? I am. Um, I, there are certain places, uh, when I first started this project, I, I started going to the same places over and over and over again. I would walk mm-hmm. the same routes. I would do the same windows. I would, uh, it got to the point where I was going in every other couple of days and at the same time, and I would see the same people going to the coffee cart. And people mm. will start to recognize me, so I knew I had to switch it up. And I'm, I started to find people, there's so many people in Manhattan, but it's quite common to see someone by themselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you don't, I mean, you see people together going out to lunch or maybe friends who are out into the city for, you know, something, going to a museum or whatever. And quite often people are by themselves. It's a very, and I lived there for 10 years and it's a very lonely city. And, uh, there's so much to do, but a lot of it is done by yourself. And I do, I do, if I can, if I see someone a, a block away standing in a window, standing next to a window, um, smoking a cigarette or talking on the phone or just standing there soaking up the sun rays, I will, like a shark, just sort of get there as quickly as I can and try to capture that. It's very important to me. Uh, and I don't, it's, I, I'm not, all, I sort of take a little bit of happenstance. If it comes across, if I see it, maybe I'll grab it. But there are other places, other times when I'm just really looking for that hmm. one thing, um, especially reflections. Um, and I've, I've seen Manhattan evolve in the last 10 years, um, geographically, construction-wise, age of people styles of clothing gentrification yeah it's it's a very wealthy place occupied by people of great wealth it's not an inexpensive city it's Um, like dubai (laughs) yeah and 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 the buildings are really you know there's parts of manhattan where the buildings are really beautiful and i've also some of the things that i never would have thought about before was the light Mm -hmm. the seasonal light the winter light the reflected light from the buildings off of the glass onto the street. And I, I started to really notice that specifically when I took a, a writing workshop at the 92nd Street Y and I walked 
from World Trade Center to the 92nd Street Y once a week in the same path. And so I could see, and it was, I think the class started in a March and ended up in hmm. end of, beginning of June. So yeah. I saw the winter light disappearing and the sun getting higher. So there's more light, but then there started there being less light and the, the shadows are deeper and the reflected light off the glass. And mm -hmm. it, it walking up Park Avenue to see the seasons change is really effective to your eye. Um, and I, I, so I yeah. started looking for that. And that's sort of how I don't think I would have ever done that as a 22-year-old. Never would have occurred to me. I just want, I want to go out and make pictures like Gary Winogrand. That's my only, <laughs> my only marching order. So <laughs> now I think about it a little bit differently, and I, I look at many other things. It might be an, you know, a sign of age. I don't know. Um, but yeah. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. Yeah, do you have any, many major hurdles to overcome to get to I where you are now? I went through a phase of fear mm -hmm. when I started taking pictures hmm. in earnest. And I, I started, um, I went through a period of time where I didn't take pictures um, from when I, after college, I was in the south of France teaching photography to American students in a little town uh, called Lacoste at a, a school that's now changed hands many times. And um, I came back to New York City and got sober and stopped taking pictures for about 10 years. Wow. And uh. um, walked into a camera store and um, that had been there for a long time and said, hey, you know, I have a 100-foot bulk loader at home and I, I need to get a 100-foot roll of film. And this is probably like 96. Yeah. And I said, sir, you, uh, you, you are aware of digital photography, are you not? And I said, <laughs> I, I, I heard me. about it. But <laughs> I mean, I was like, you know, this, Mr. I, everything's got to be in black and white. I'm not going to do that anymore. And he says, no, this is digital photography is where it's at. And, you know, we don't carry film anymore. And it was a big, I, I, it was a big change in, in, in my, the way I thought about things because I wanted to reenter wanted to pick that back up and um i had a couple of rolls of slide film and shot those and i remember that was sort of like the end of my film experience i shoot a little bit of film now for mm -hmm. a couple of different reasons but i was going to the digital was such a an incredible experience to i didn't know that when you shoot digital you can just shoot forever and I mean, I shot like 1,500 frames a day, just like endlessly. And then suddenly there's all this stuff and I didn't get it. So that was like, so that, that was a hurdle for me was understanding the shift in the technology. Mm. And then when I got back into it, um, where I really started to think about this project, it was the fear of taking pictures of people that I'd forgotten about. It was holding the lens up. 
and mm-hmm. pointing it at someone in a very mm-hmm. sort of aggressive way. So what I did is I really want to take pictures of people on the street. So I used my iPhone and I held it like this and uh-huh. I walked with the people and I asked for directions. <laughs> and they looked right at me, right at the camp, because uh-huh. they looked right at me and right at the phone and I took their picture and I did a whole series of of pictures like this where I just at, walked up to people and asked them for directions. And I would walk all over the city. And um, 100% of the time, I got directions. Yeah. I never had anyone say, I don't, I don't know where that is. I'm mm-hmm. not from around here. And that was, for me, a, a big moment of breaking that fear down, that hurdle down, of taking pictures of someone. It's just walking right up to them as close as you can. And I was, you know, probably... 14 inches away, like this close. And um, that really was helpful to me. Yeah. Don't let anybody tell you that the New Yorkers are, are mean. and No. <laughs> that's not true at all. No, no. They're people. They're people. They are people, just like the rest of us. A little while ago, you talked about writing. You, you say it's, it's, you know, I think you said it's as important as the photography. So many photographers I know, and we run into this a lot, you know, publish a magazine, uh, struggle with writing. You know, I, I struggle with, I used to write a lot and, uh, you know, what do you do? Of course you said you took a writing workshop, but what do you do to get that part of your brain engaged? Cause you yeah. are, you're an excellent writer. Uh, everybody read his article. It's so well written. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, as a cliche goes, it comes with practice. I also, when I started in working in in the book business, I really felt like I had something to say. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing a novel. This is in 96. And um, don't let anybody fool you. uh, Writing a novel is really hard. Mm -hmm. And especially when you went to to art school and... (laughs) You never took an English class, and the last one you took, you were mad about um, having to have to read about Tom Sawyer, uh, you know, Huck Finn. <laughs> that really bothered you. And um, so I started writing a novel in 96, and one of the things I recognized about my writing was that it was just like I was thinking about a picture. And I was very influenced by television, very influenced by movies. And when I was a child um, growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch TV. Um, mm. And um, my dad cut the cord off the television and kept it in his pocket. I could watch one hour, I think, a night, and it had to be curated by him. Um, so what mm. I did is I listened to the radio. Uh, CBS used to have a simulcast on on uh, general airways, and I would listen to CBS sitcoms at night as I was laying in bed to go to sleep. And I listened to the late, late movie, Cagney and Lacey, um, you know, all kinds of sitcoms, dramatic comedy. And it really helped me grow sort of like what was going on in these shows without actually seeing them. Cause I could only understand what I was, Hmm. I could only make out what's going on by listening to them talk. So I, I, I learned a lot about dialogue that way. And I started, I, I, I started to try to find someone to publish the first novel. And a few um, very lovely people read the first one. And I'm so sorry they did. It's an embarrassment. And um, <laughs> they are really, I really, I, I wish I could go back and, and pay them lots of money to, to have to do what they did. Um, but they said to me, 
the best thing about writing is you can always write another novel. Just write another one. You can't find a home for this one, write another one. So I started writing on it. I would come up with an idea and I would sit down and I would write it, wrote short stories. Um, and I eventually ended up started writing a novel about a fictionalized version of my childhood, um, traveling across the country and um, son of a photographer, son of an artist. And I, I, I think that it's a form of expressing myself. And um, I think it's really important to think. I love writing description. I love writing, describing things. And I had a, a class with, um, I think it was with Wendy McNeil or Burt Beaver. It might have been Wendy McNeil at RISD. Oh, no, it was Rita DeWitt, the photographer Rita DeWitt. And she said, I want everyone to pick their favorite photograph and write about it. That's the assignment for next week. Mm -hmm. And we had to come in and with something we'd written and read it to the class. And I picked, of course, a Gary Winogrand picture. And um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it activates a side of my brain that is really important to keep limber and keep moving. Mm. Yeah. And I, I find that um, when you read something that I've written, a lot of it, a lot of times it acts like a, a photograph. I'll mm. treat each scene like a photograph, especially when I wrote a book about, you know, a photographer and um, h h the act of him doing it and the act of him learning it was really instructive to me on how to write about someone who's making something. So that's so, how I think about them together. Do you remember which Wintergrand photo you wrote about? I wrote about the famous one of the two of the folks in the zoo um, mm -hmm. with the uh, I think with the chimpanzees, mm -hmm. um, the two, two people. And, yeah, and I, yeah, and I've since seen the documentary uh, on Winter Grand, um, mm -hmm. which I think I saw twice in the theater. And at, at <laughs> this many years later, I'm still. I saw the the Brooklyn Museum show of his with the all kinds of stuff, and that was in it. it was just but just so illuminating. Um, I, yeah, I, that was the one I picked. Um, I thought it was really important. It's a really important photograph, and I thought it was really important for me to write about it. Wow, you still have the, you still have that text laying around. Oh goodness, I think <laughs> I turned it in. Um, Joel Mar Joel Meyerowitz was selling some some prints, some five by seven prints on his site, um, and he has one of Winogrand, one hundred and fifty dollars, and it's signed. And I bought it right away. Oh um, really? I didn't never have had a photograph of Winogrand and. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a really interesting guy. Um, I keep waiting for someone to make a, a biopic of him. I don't yeah. think anyone, anyone but me will go, but so well, I'll be there. Okay. Good. We'll go we'll together. Watch it on Netflix or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's talk about your article. Um, okay. wrote a, like I said, very, very well-written article. Well, thank you. Uh, obviously a company with your photographs called between the seconds. Yep. What can you tell us about it? I probably around 2015, I really started thinking about my relationship to photography as a form of expression for myself. I thought about Manhattan, the Manhattan that I lived in in the 90s and the Manhattan where I was at that moment, how it had changed, how I missed it, nostalgia. And 
I felt like there were these, my vision of New York City, I started seeing things that were happening between someone lighting a cigarette, between someone getting on a bus where they pause or hesitate. They don't know they're being looked at. They don't know they're being photographed or they're lost in thought or they're thinking about what's for dinner or did I get enough milk? And I feel like that was really important to capture that. And I wanted to see if I could really put together a body of work that would express those things that I was seeing. Um, probably coincided almost immediately with walking up to people and asking for directions <laughs> as a sort of like, let's get Jason exposed <laughs> as much as we can <laughs> to what he wants to do. Um, you know, and that was, that was the start of that project and it, it's still going on. And, and I feel like it's, um, I've refined it with some sort of feedback from a few people here and there. Some of, you know, I like to say about advice is it's free. You don't have to take it. Um, and uh, you can, if you want, and there've been some good, good feedback and some bad feedback, mm -hmm. but, um, I feel like when you look at a photograph or when I look at a picture of my own in a body of work, I want to, people to know it's me that when they scroll through Instagram, they mm. look at it and they go, oh, that's Jason's picture. I recognize mm -hmm. that style. So I, I, I really wanted to develop a color palette, a style, um, not narrow myself down to black and white and um, be as immersed in what I was seeing on the street as possible. How'd you choose the cutter color palette? That, that, well, smart, I, by I, the way, I did never even what, thought about that. <laughs> what's that? I said, I think that's very smart, by the way. And I yeah, never thought so about it doing it myself. The, I, I went through a phase immediately. I like to call it my Easter egg phase. And mm -hmm. I, having been living in a black and white monochrome thought process about photography for many years, that the only photography that could ever possibly exist would be black and white photography. And then Vivian Meyer came out and, and sort of, I feel like she really blew the doors off of color photography. And with that second book, uh, what, I can't remember the name top of my head, but um, I started to discover color and learn about color with the filters in my phone and what I could do to enhance the picture. And what I understood about color up to that point was primary colors. That's it. Yeah. Color photography. And when you're at, you know, when I was at RISD, we had an entire semester devoted to learning color photography, mm. which I failed to do. Um, I refused to learn it. I put black and white negatives in the color. <laughs> <laughs> the, kid. The, I was, I was, uh, I was a real rascal. I was, a. I I was, um, I was a problem child. If you if if you ask anybody who was my professor at that time, they wouldn't. They probably would roll their eyes a little bit. Um, but I learned about color through my phone, and a friend of mine who who was also a good feedback person said, "You know, Jason, not, not everything has to be this these intense apocalyptic yeah. colors, right? Yeah, it can come yeah. down, right? Make it you can you can make it real and still be effective." Mm -hmm. And I um, I learned a lot about color through that and i think i've chosen a palette that is 
real to life, but a little bit warmer mm -hmm. because there's so much solitude in my pictures. There's so much loneliness that I'm trying to make it convey that idea of, of loneliness is okay. Being by yourself is okay. Solitude is okay. Um, and that's how I, I came to the, I think the phone has many different, the iPhone has many different benefits, but the photography side of it um, is so intense. There's so much explosion of, of technology and color and filtering. And mm. I remember showing, I got, I was in this phase where I thought, well, I'm just going to go to famous people's websites who are still alive photographers and send them a link to my photography and say, Hey, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think of my work? You know, and, you about um, 50 of those a day. <laughs> and I'm not even famous. <laughs> and uh, people wrote me back and they're like, why, why are you, why are your colors like this? This oh, is colors. Oh, really? That's colors good. are like, I don't, what's, what's with the filtering? So I asked my friend again, uh -huh. who's a photographer. Uh -huh. I asked her and she said, you're not a purist, Jason. Those people are, you're showing your, your work to purists, mm -hmm. right? Who like things a certain way, a certain standard, and yeah. you are showing them something that's not standard. And I thought, oh, okay. Okay. I understand. Um, so I, I, color has been something that I've, I've had to get used to because I, I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with it. I didn't spend time learning about it. I didn't, I didn't spend time appreciating photographers who shot in color, you know, cause I grew up on, you know, um, Weston and Callahan and, um, Aaron Siskin and, you know, these photographers, I will admit all white men, um, who made work that, um, was shown to me mm -hmm. as, important icons or as i like to say chestnuts of the of the art world that you're traveling in and so that was i it caught me at a young age so it was so hard to get sort of unencumbered unlearn black and white you know and that's also in the dark room I, I spent hundreds of hours processing film making prints learning about light learning about black and white and learning mm -hmm. how to print it and what filters to use and you know um there's a guy who created um a processing uh, system called sprint his name is paul crott he was a professor at RISD, and we all used sprint which is a really easy flexible chemical to process film and um to make your prints and uh, i spent hundreds of hours making prints so by the time i came out it was like color photography <laughs> what <laughs> i'm not doing that <laughs> I, never, I never would have thought that but now I, it's probably i would say 99.9 percent .9 of what i do but people really like black and white in a nostalgic way sometimes that's funny though when you i guess maybe non-photographers you, you show them two photos the same photo in black and white in right. color they almost yeah. always pick the color photo right yeah and there, you know, there are times when I will make a black and white image um, and think about the history of photography through that lens and how it influenced me. And um, I think the color photography, there's sort of two sides of my brain about that. 
Mm-hmm. And I think black and white and color occupy two separate sides. And um, I was in Philadelphia two days ago uh, taking pictures, and we're at the end of winter light. And um, mm-hmm. that's what I like to call this time of year is winter light because the sun's so low in the sky. Mm-hmm. The shadows are so rich. And in in a town with skyscrapers of any any tall buildings of any kind, you get these incredible shadows from trees, from other buildings, the refracted light, and people moving in and out of them. Um, and I, I, I think that it's just uh, so gorgeous uh, a time to be taking pictures is in this time of year. Um, and that's where I sort of start. I was looking at some pictures that I took the last in Manhattan and in Philadelphia the last two days, and um, the light is so shocking um and it's so important and again that my evolution as a photographer right growing growing up i never would have thought at all about it not even a second (laughs) (laughs) it's all about the light it's funny we you talk about the the type of colors you can get out of out of an iphone or whatever it kind of reminds me of when they first came out with word processors Mm-hmm. And you could you could use any font you wanted, and so many people would have like five fonts in their document, and you know just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Right. And you see the same thing, especially on Instagram, eh, maybe even earlier on Instagram. You know where you throw on those filters and make the photos look pretty wacky. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, just be like, it's, you made a good point. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to use it. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that uh, the problem, the downside, or maybe not problem, but challenge with everyone having a phone and a camera is that everyone takes pictures. Yeah. Everyone. There's no longer, and I, I, I sat in on a, a Zoom call for the, um, what becomes a legend most the Richard Avedon memoir they had the author on mm-hmm. and I asked a question if Richard Avedon was alive making pictures now would he even be would he be anyone I don't know and the photographer and the, the, the writer said for yeah. sure he would be someone but I, I don't know I don't know if was this he was making pictures in a time when not too many other people were Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was it was a real you know it was thought of as an art form. Um, now I, I think it's just we take pictures of everything all the time. Yeah, food, feet. Always <laughs> take pictures of your lunch. Your meal is important for everyone to see. <laughs> I want to know. I want to um, know what you had for lunch, Bob. <laughs> I had leftovers. Leftovers. Hey, that's the best. And they were good. Yes, they were. Oh, sure, yes, they were. Um, so what are you shooting with? Are you primarily shooting with your phone? No, I, I stopped with the phone a while ago cause I, I couldn't get a really good root file, uh, enough to go up to 16, 20 or 11 by 11, mm-hmm. 11, 14 with a clear enough resolution that didn't need so much work. Um, I shoot with, um, a Fujifilm mm-hmm. X pro three, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, XE3, I have a three and a, and I just got the X Pro 3, which is just fantastic. Um, Yeah, that's a two. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, 
just bought the body. I had a 35 Fujifilm 35 lens that I popped on there that I had from my other camera. And um, I really find it to be almost like a film camera. It feels mm-hmm. like a film camera. And um, it's uh, I shoot in the raw and shoot in color. If I, if I do any black and white, it's through an app on my iPhone. So I, typically when I go out to shoot, I'm carrying two cameras with me. Three sometimes if I carry a medium format, um, Bronica. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically, I, I there are different things that I take pictures of with my phone: reflections, shadows on a on a polished floor. I was in um, Manhattan yesterday, and there was a polished floor at a um, big uh, mall, and it was beautiful. The sun was setting, and the the sun on the floor was reflecting the shadows of people walking, and it was a beautiful image and I, and I my my digital camera was in my bag and I just mm-hmm. took out because it's so you know sure. it's so portable you just take out your phone and you can take pictures and and I, there's a black and white app called tiny type that I use mm-hmm. a lot um, for certain things that I don't always make prints of um, that is really a shallow depth of field has the ability to be out of focus you can just sort of increase or decrease the grain. Uh, it's stark black and white. And I find that some subject matters that I take pictures of need to be in black and white. And I can see that. Whereas there's other times when I'm with my, my, you know, my digital camera and I'm taking pictures where um, I feel like it's necessary to shoot on digital. Uh, so I'm, also you- six, I'm also six foot five, so I can go a lot of places in Manhattan that <laughs> with my camera where I'm not going to get bothered. Yeah. I'm not going to be worried about it. So I try to take out, I take with me three cameras always. Wow. Yeah. So the tiny type, do you, do you shoot with the app or just shoot? Yeah. You shoot okay. with you, So you, you don't shoot process with, the app. with it. Okay. Yeah. You don't process with it. Yeah. Okay. Guess what I'm downloading in about 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's neat. It's neat. It's, yeah. it's, a, it, and, um, it's beautiful for portraits. I, I have a, hmm side hustle um where i take author photos and um actual portraits of people for my own body of work and on my website there's a portraits tab an author photos tab as well and um i found it to be remarkable it just it's so beautiful the eyes it has the ability to simulate to 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 really focus in on the eyes and uh I've been using it for years off and on. Um, I told some non-photographer friends about it. I'd taken some pictures at a party um, on the sly and sent them to them. And they're like, and they're just, oh my goodness, I can't believe how great these pictures are. What did you shoot them with? I didn't see you taking pictures yeah, and I looked with this app it was on my phone and they started using it. And now this person uses it all the time. <laughs> I feel like I should, I should do a partnership with tiny type and uh, you know, I would be happy to, but uh, yeah, I, I find it a really useful app. Hipstamatic was good. And mm-hmm. at first when I was approaching people on the street to ask yeah. for directions, Hipstamatic was what I shot in. And oh, really? Yeah. yeah. The colors in Hipstamatic are a l- edge towards the Easter egg side. So yeah. 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 Interesting. What, uh, when you, when you're out with your Fuji, what, lens do you typically have on 35 the 35 yeah 35 yeah. 14 
Yeah, I have that. That's a beautiful lens. Yeah, it's a beautiful lens. And I shot with a 50 for a while. Yeah. I shot with an a uh, telephoto for a while, which is basically like carrying a sort of like a sawed-off shotgun with you. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I really like miles, that. You know? <laughs> yeah, I like that. With a 35, you have um, – you basically have what I like to call like a movie frame. Mm. You have a 35-millimeter film camera frame around what you're looking at. So you're, everything is a, at a distance that is – you can put a lot in there, but you also can't put too much. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and, I, and with the X-Pro3 – it's got the flip down screen in the back, so mm -hmm. I often shoot at waist Low, level, yeah. um, which is really important to me. Is is changing perspective because everything at six foot five, yeah, you're looking down, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you're sort of looking down and you're seeing it at seeing everything at sort of like a person who's five foot ten ish, right? And I think that's really important is to change perspective because one perspective is what I did when I was in Rome. I shot standing up or kneeling down here and there, and you can really tell. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that this person is only shooting at this one altitude, so to speak. Yeah, I got the I've had, I've used the X100 series since it came out, and I got it's got the V not too long ago, mainly because I wanted to flip up the screen and yeah. have that lower perspective. Yeah. That's a, the whole reason why I, I I just got the body last week um, of the X Pro three and uh, had the thirty five on the lens on the side. I just switched it over and and I I was like knocking people over to get out to shoot with it because I I just couldn't wait for the flip down screen and the X E three that I have doesn't have that mm -hmm. so you have to hold it up or yeah. I was shooting down and kind of seeing a little bit but um, yeah I I don't I don't know I've been struggling with equipment for many years and have gone oh, yeah. haven't we all yeah yeah i, I think there's always the grass is always greener for every every photographer always yeah, yeah. but hey, you know having that flip up screen that, that's like it's like shooting with a roloflex right and people don't really pay attention to you when you're looking down especially when i've got my medium format bronica and i'm looking down and and people will never look at me when i'm taking when i'm, I'm my head's down except yeah. when i was in philadelphia two days ago a woman walked up to me and asked me um what are you doing <laughs> i said well I'm a, I'm a photographer i'm taking some pictures and i have a, I have a um a, there's a series if you look at my work of pictures taken in in the reflections of puddles on the street and i was in the process of doing that she's like i just she goes i'm really curious and i, I just i saw you working on here i came out and i see what's going on and I, she said, you know, I need a headshot. And I said, okay. She said, do you do that? <laughs> and I said, sure, I, I absolutely do that. She goes, well, do you have a card? And I gave her my card. And I said, you know, if you like what you see. But it's so funny. I had this really nice. And that two people said something to me yesterday or two days ago about that. Yeah. The <laughs> camera. Huh. Um, but you're looking down. No one ever pays attention. Yeah. Not interested. Yeah. That, yeah. That's true. Yeah. You, ever, you ever try the... Uh, I'm sorry, this this isn't meant to be a Fuji show, but I I got to ask you this question. You, you ever use the uh, the 14? No. It's 20, 21. But you, doesn't sound like you shoot wide too much. I bought that on a Lark. I just love it. Really? Yeah. Beautiful. Why are you shooting so wide? It is. Got to get close. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> gotta get close. Yeah, absolutely. Gotta, gotta get close. But it's just a, I don't know. It's a very interesting perspective. I don't use it all the time, but right. But uh, I like it. Yeah, I I stick to a thirty-five. I don't. The other lens that I have, I think it's an eighty to. 60 to 120 or 80 to 120 or something yeah. like that the distortion is wacky yeah i can't believe that they sell that with that camera because it's so it's so it's such a monstrosity and and for street photography when i bought the lens at bnh the guy who sold it to me said well you you must be a street photographer <laughs> i said yeah he says well that's why you're shooting with 35 so really i, I don't yeah i don't know if that's that's true or not. I don't, I don't remember exactly what Winogrand shot with or uh, Mario would shot with or, you know, uh, Vivian Meyer shot a lot of medium. Mm -hmm. I think probably with a 50. I don't know the specs on that camera she was shooting with, but um, I think, I think you can go 50, like 35, 28 to 50 is a really good focal length to, to have. Yeah. Oh, yeah get you in and out for sure yep there yep. are some photographers whose work i really admire on instagram who only shoot with 50 um and they sort of swear by it and i don't know if that's enough for me it just i don't know this does seem so long to me anymore <laughs> yeah yeah but that's just me everybody's different yeah so anyway before we wrap i want to wrap up i want to ask you one more one more quick question so what do you you've come a long way you know you really know who you are as a photographer is it you struggling with anything now any hurdles to get over or, or are you set um i'm i feel like i've gotten comfortable with just being happy about making the work yeah and that's happened during the pandemic where mm -hmm. the city was sort of taken away from me because it, there was the absence of people was really hard to deal with yeah i like going i travel a lot for work so i'm back to traveling again so i can see different places and see different people and see different settings um i feel like i'm ha I'm, I'm happy with the work i'm making and that's the most important part and i i, I feel like i've really gotten over the recognition thing of craving recognition mm. which i think plagues a lot of young photographers is they think that yeah. they need to be recognized yeah um, yeah and I, I don't think that social media is helping with that because it's got this whole like factor to it which is sort of um not true to life and it's easy to get sucked into that yeah so i got off facebook a while ago and um I, for a lot of reasons but I, I i didn't feel like it was helping me um instagram is probably going to be the next thing i i uh, have a separation from i don't know if if it's enough but i for anyone um i think it's really a strange place now um but it, it has its purpose people people love it um i'm you know i'm struggling with if i've struggled with anything with my artwork it's listening to myself more, trusting my instincts more, doing what I want, not being self-critical, not saying this isn't good enough, 
you know, this is terrible, saying, you know, accepting that these are pretty good, that this work is good. Um, and the things I'm writing are enjoyable, that I enjoy doing it. You know, I, those are the, is to maintain that, maintain some happiness about the work you're making, because there are two sort of unicorns that I'm chasing, yeah. the novel and photography. And chasing them is, is sort of an, you never catch those unicorns, you know? No. And that's, so I, I think that it's, if there's any kind of struggle, it's, it's a struggle to, to exclude negativity from my thought process. Um, wow, well, that's, uh, hard. Yeah. Real hard. Yeah. Harder for some than others. Yes. And it's okay. Um, it's, it's totally fine that, um, I'm not the next Gary Winogrand. <laughs> I've gotten over that. It's taken 35 years to understand <laughs> that. Um, you know, and, um, and be happy with the work that you make. And I went through a phase probably early in the pandemic where I was really not liking what I was seeing on Instagram. And I, I thought, well, do I not like this or am I unhappy about something else? I think I'm probably just unhappy about something else. And this mm. work is fine. It's not yeah, for like me. That. Yeah. It's not for me. I don't mm -hmm. particularly care for this photographer's work, but you know, it doesn't mean I have to like actively dislike it. You know, you're giving it, you're, you're giving it um, rent free space in your head. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Hmm, you're giving me a lot to think about. No, oh, I'm good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Jason. Well, thanks. Um, before we go there, tell everybody where they can find you. They can Online. Find you. Don't don't give them your home address or anything. Oh no, right, right. Well, you know, if you if you come to South Jersey, you just you know, shout out my name. Um, <laughs> you can find me at tomcrownkills.com on the World Wide Web, and Instagram is uh, Jason, E-C-I-R, my name, my last name spelled backwards. And uh, I am, the reason my website is named that has to do with the main character in my, my novel about a photographer, and his, huh. his name is Tom Crown, which is based upon, which is inspired by the original Thomas Crown movie. <laughs> I was going through Squarespace and trying to find a domain that I could use. And um, I kept putting in different variations of my name and they were all taken. And finally I got so upset that I just wrote Tom Crown Kills. And they said, there no you one go. Is, that's yours. You can have it. And I was like, great. And I have friends who are like, why, Jason, why don't you just use your name? What, what, what's that about? So. Yeah, when you have a common name, good luck. I was uh, in the, if I have a local photo store here, uh, and I went in to get some prints made, some big prints made, and I gave him my name. He said, you know, you're not the only Jason Rice who comes in here. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. When I lived in Manhattan, there was, uh, I called uh, back in the day when you had a landline and you called an operator for a phone number, and... Um, I remember I was talking to her. I had to ask her to verify my number or something. Or, and she said to me, the operator said, do you know how many people with the name Jason Rice live below 34th Street in Manhattan right now? <laughs> she said, I, she says, I'm, I'm looking on the screen and there's at least 150. So we can have a club, <laughs> the Jason Rice Club. And you can all walk. 
you could all walk to the, the, the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Well, thanks. Thank thanks. You so it much, was uh, a real pleasure. I, yeah, I, real I, nice. I'm glad we connected. Thanks yes. for talking. Thanks for submitting the article. I look forward to it. Yeah, and I look forward to talking to you again. All right. I hope so. Thanks, Bob. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Mm-hmm.